welcome along gardening programme uh, for the final uh, penultimate gardening programme. Get it better, get it right. <laughs> I was going to say one for the more. final Saturday of October, but we do, we have we do one, one more, one we're pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apologies, I was getting ahead of myself, you see. Clocks are going uh, backwards. Uh, yeah, after a fall back, of course. Um, so I'm kind of nearly thinking, oh, that's it now, all changed, but not quite. No, we're, near, we're not quite there yet. beautiful gardening weather. We, we'll keep it going for at least another week. We will, we will. So we'll absolutely. be back next Saturday, yeah, right. to do the final programme. Possibly the final programme. But today is all about garden Today, science. yes, sorry. So I beg your pardon, Pork. Good morning Good to morning. you, first of all. And Good morning, listeners. we're joined as well by Terry McAnally, who is a garden designer with Harkins. Um, Terry, you're very welcome to the studio today. Thank you very much, Deirdre. Dying to hear uh, our discussion this morning myself, because this is an area of huge interest to me. Uh, even more, and Pork will uh, probably admit to this reluctantly, more than the gardening end of it itself. I just love the notion of design and how we can create space uh, around us and how we maximise that kind of space. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this we morning. Well, this is really the time of year as we come into November now. Um, you know, we've had, we've had, I suppose, we're coming to the end of the gardening season, as it were, and people are reflecting back on, on their gardening year. And it's really a time to, to think about next year, and particularly projects that you might be considering to do around your own garden. Mm. November is really a great time to take stock, I suppose. Um, a lot of the trees and shrubs will be going out of leaf. So it's a really good time to reassess the garden. And, um, you know, to think about the challenges that you had this year, maybe some of the areas that you found difficult to maintain or, or want to revamp and think about the projects for next year, mm. because we're using the garden now so much for um, events in particular. Uh, Terry and I were just talking about years ago, it, would, it was all about um, when the stations, people would do up the home. Yes. But, but in the last number of years, it's very much about the garden, people having weddings, people having confirmation, communion, and using the garden, I suppose, for those family events. So it's thinking about those for next year and maybe putting a bit of thought and planning around your own garden to see what you need to do to get them ready for for use of, for next season. So, so where does one start with one of that? That's then? a great is, question. Is that, is that a very, is that, I know it's a very open-ended question, mm. but, you know, a lot of people, um, and I'll just take my own limited experience, I go and I see a little spot and I go, oh, I must put X, Y, or Z into that. But I'm not really looking at the garden as a whole, mm. perhaps, and I'm just looking at an area. And I suspect that a lot of us tend to approach how we design and plant and, you know, decorate our gardens uh, in a similar fashion. And I, pr- I kind of feel that's probably the not, not the best approach. Yeah, I, I think when you when you're looking at your garden, you have to look at all all stages and um, in require and, and your requirements. I mean, usually as a designer coming in, uh, we would start from the outside mm-hmm. and work our way in. We'd start with the boundaries, and you'd usually find that either you'd have some kind of a hedgerow or fences or walls or whatever the requirements are. There's always the the notion that good good uh, fences make good neighbours. Mm. So you you need and also it's good for shelter and good for privacy. So once you have your 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 basic. Sh- um, um, boundary sorted. Then you're looking at your your requirements, and then those requirements will depend mainly on, on on your lifestyle and the stage you are with your garden. It may be a new garden. You may have certain requirements. Um, we spoke to Porrick earlier about the generally the form and the function. Most people will start off by putting in their their lawns, their patios, their, their basic requirements. Maybe a garden shed, mm. and they don't really think much more about that. Um, I, I suppose as a designer, we're looking at maybe sort of how you can actually, as you said, maximise the potential, putting things in the right place. Obviously, getting plants to grow which are, are suitable to the site, 
and which will in, in turn obviously they can get maximum enjoyment mm. from that in relation to colour all year round or whether it's for uh, in, in some cases the, in the younger generations they're requiring uh, play areas areas maybe for the pets and, and these maybe not be requirements for later on in life where, where people are looking at the garden and saying I want a low maintenance yeah. just a rela- relaxation area um, and, and, and the garden can depend on, on, on what the person's I suppose aspirations are um, some people like to have a kind of it's a, a lazy gardeners I just want to look out I want it to look nice but very limited effort yes I don't want to be out taking out weeds yeah. uh, from flower beds you and, know and twice you, a week or anything like that familiar. And, 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 and yet they want it looking nice. And as, as Porrick yeah. said, I mean, you have a lot of uh, events and people now are, are more into uh, barbecues and, and, and even in evenings and social occasions in the home. Um, and recre- and, and that actually leads to people going out into the garden and uh, and enjoying that space mm. as well. And, and it's easy, uh, with, with a little bit of planning and tweaking, it's easy to, to, to maximise that space. Yeah, I think a, a big thing for me is, is, Terry mentioned form, and form is all about putting in the basic structure, the, the lawn, the trees, the shrubs, the very basics. Generally, what you do that when you, you purchase the house, first and foremost. Mm. And, and people then really don't think about the functionality of the garden, how it actually functions, and the usability of the garden. So things like cooking out of doors, things like sit, sitting and being able to read out of doors. Yes. And, and okay, people will say, well, it's always raining here. Well, it's yeah. not always raining, yeah. but we have a very temperate climate. We have a climate, actually, that is very um, open to, to sitting out of doors if we've got covered structures. So we're seeing a big swing over to people looking at putting in physical structures that they can use for listening to music, reading, where they have Wi-Fi, where they have lighting. Um, we're seeing a lot of interest in, rather than just having the barbecue out of doors with a cover over it, mm. actually having a structure where the barbecue resides, where you can go out and cook 365. It's in an in, enclosed structure, in structure yeah. an area that you can sit and use the space. So, so there's a big trend towards using the functionality of the garden, the usability of the garden. A lot more emphasis on hard landscaping, so the use of things like gravel, patio materials, uh, you know, timber decking, all of those materials, hard landscaping. So reducing the lawn area and making the garden a lot more Usable. I had a very interesting uh, customer, Terry and I worked on a project during the summer. Um, we had a, a young family, um, a lady that, that was in business, um, so she worked outside the home. Mm-hmm. Young family, husband was very interested in golf. So we had this conflict at the weekend. Somebody had to do the garden and, and you know... Somebody else wants to be golfing. Well, and, and <laughs> there was minding the kids and yeah. all of that and a big lawn and, and really trying to maintain the area. And we really looked at what was important for the family was using, being able to use the garden, particularly for the children, to be able to get out there. But the grass, of course, was very messy. So we looked at putting in an area of artificial grass an area where we sunk the trampoline at soil level. So you walked out on the patio onto the artificial grass area. The kids were able to play on the trampoline because it was a ground ground level. level. They put in a number of um, nice timber play structures, large structures. And funnily, the family told me afterwards, probably the best fun they had during the summer was painting the timber structures with Newfoundland paints to create this really beautiful uh, piece of, I suppose, furniture in the garden but something that the kids used. And lots of the neighbours' kids kids came in to play. Because the grass was artificial, they were able to go out in their socks. Right, perfect. And it made it perfect. And to top it all off, she put in a putting green, (laughs) which which I thought was a nice touch. no excuses. (laughs) But really, what what I thought was was interesting is that um, the customer wanted the garden to be very functional. Mm. And they they designed it in a way that... uh, 
was met their lifestyle. So it was very much about the kids being able to use the space all year round, being able to bring friends over, being able to bring family over, making the garden very usable. And what I spoke to her recently and, and the point she was making to me was that the garden is very, it's used so much now at the moment. But in five or ten years time, as the t- kids come into teenage, she's going to change the garden again yeah. and make it more about the cooking and more about, um, you know, maybe the, putting in a structure where the teenagers can invite friends okay. over and, and you know, have okay. Wi-Fi and cushions so and all this kind of thing. So there's a lot of thought going in there. Well, but it's it's really what resonated with me was how, how usable they were making the garden, mm-hmm. very much yeah. making the garden part of their lifestyle, where we tend to focus on the form, which is lawns, you know, uh, trees, shrubs. And for lots of listeners, there's a lot of task goes into that a lot of work in maintaining that without getting the usability right so it's really so really we need to think about how we're going to use it the function side equally as much as the form end of things absolutely form come form has to be done in terms you have to like Mm. terry says you've got to put up the hedges you've got to to create your boundaries all of that and Mm. that should start in the formative years really as the house has been built Mm. or in the first number of years to allow that to mature Mm. but then really reflecting on how we're going to use this garden and as people get in you know when you get to my age where the where the teenager where they're no longer teenagers they're getting to the family are beginning to leave the home yeah. then it's about making the garden suitable for my lifestyle yeah. and that's more it'll be more about about things like being able to rest in the garden enjoy the garden and reducing the task element of it yeah. and making it more Usable. And particularly as we move into our senior years as well, that, um, you know, where there is maybe a higher level of maintenance in the garden, people may no longer just be in a position physically to kind of give that end of um, a time, time and effort to exactly. it. So it has to be kind of thought that has to be brought into, in, it, it into does, play of course. as well. And, and the use of hard, hard landscaping materials like the gravel, the, the timber, there's so many products now mm. available to help reduce the amount of maintenance in a garden and make it more functional mm. and more usable and more enjoyable. It's about making the garden really part of your lifestyle and extension to your home. Um, we all know there's rooms in the house that we really love and that can be due to, due to light. It tends to be down to the usability of the space. Mm-hmm. So people love their kitchens because they're open planned or whatever and it should be no different with, with, with the, the garden. garden. So Terry, then when we do start off with, you know, say, right, well, I'm going to look at this space in a slightly different context or in a different way and see how I can get the most out of it um uh, presumably maybe make a list first of all as yeah, to how we yeah. what we want out of it um, usually if, if you actually get someone to advise you uh, like a designer mm-hmm. uh, there will be a questionnaire process okay. or you're actually uh, an interview process where you're finding out more about what the client requires mm-hmm. um, and then from there I suppose the idea is a process of elimination mm-hmm. and one of the processes like like in everything in life you're looking at um, this is what you'd like and let's look at this over maybe a four to five year stages and then okay. depending on the budget we yes. can actually implement this. So budget is a, is, is, is a big factor. Of course. So, but budget doesn't mean that you can't do it. I mean, you, we have to maybe take smaller steps to achieve the final final goal. But you still have the over ultimate plan. Yes. And I mean, the idea is if you if you fail to plan, plan to fail. So if you have the plan, then you can work with that. It's almost like a shopping list for you for the future. So when you go in, you're not going in to buy materials or items that are not suitable. Um, and you can avoid making expensive mistakes because people tend to do that. They tend yes. to plant some, go in and sort of impulse buy. Yeah, I'll chance this and see yeah, how it and goes. Yeah, and then they realise to take it out. My goodness, it's a pity because, you know, that would have yeah. been great, but it's overgrown, it's too big or it's too small. To, yeah, like so t- t- took t- over in that there, particular there, there, location. There, there is an element of, of, of um, suitability. And, and so we look at all aspects. I mean, we're going to look at the idea of where your actually garden is located mm-hmm. in relation to maximising the, the uh, sunlight as well. Um, and, and, you know, 
there's different uh, positions so we say look okay, maybe you want to put some seating area at the back of the garden mm-hmm. because then you can capture that's south facing so you're going to capture most of the sun so small things people mightn't immediately realise uh, the potential of the garden but I suppose if you have somebody who's continuously looking at that are an expert and, and, and can and give you Good advice on that yeah. um, but then you have um, huge huge amount of variations um, in relation to the mix of trees and shrubs which is obviously very important uh, and then you have the hardscape structures the hardscape structures generally go in first your patios your walls maybe some kind of like vertical structures like um, you're talking like, about gazebos like the and, areas, and yeah. arches so the and, kind yeah. of the sitting areas are, that are a bit and, covered because of yeah, and, and, and the garden has become a kind of an extension of, of the house so it's, it's almost like a, an, an extra room mm. and, and you know people have, have designed it in such a way where they can go out Outside and even as you said about cooking utensils, uh, fire pits and, and water mm. features are, are big elements and and you know, they, they actually sort of like um, I, I suppose the idea of having some kind of a sensory garden where you have all of these sort of the idea of touch and smell and the, the yeah that it's the, not the, just the, about some pretty it's, flowers it's not, or something no color. I mean there is a lot more de- depth there um, and and and, the, and and I mean uh, when we're interviewing um, um, our, our clients mm-hmm. basically we, we 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 get that information and we can give them some valuable feedback. And, and steer them in the right direction. Say, look, this is suitable in relation to your circumstances, in relation to your lifestyle. You know, we prioritise. So this is the priority. The kids' area is obviously a priority at the younger stage. Then you maybe the raised beds uh, in, in the latter stages. So, you know, that you're obviously for low maintenance. So depending on um, on, on the age profile of, of the individuals yeah. as well. We're, we're actually working with a client at the moment who is going to get into the whole space of mindfulness um, okay. relaxation courses for yeah. clients. Oh, very good. So what they're going to do is actually plant around the uh, consultancy offices with plants, medicinal plants. So plants like lavender that um, the consultant will be able to give to their clients mm-hmm. to take home and use. So, so lavender, for example, is very good for sleep yeah, problems. That's very calming influence, and, yeah. and really using plants in a way that complements their business and complements that whole mindfulness. And that's like complementary gardening almost. Exactly and, and, and the, 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 um, they're able to advise their, their clients in terms of the plants to plant in their own garden mm. for so it could be feverfew or lavender or thyme or whatever whatever the plant is that has some medicinal purposes. Um, so it's that kind of thinking and planning that needs to go in to any garden yeah. and, and really as Terry says fitting it to, to people's lifestyles and really taking it on as projects. Okay. So rather than have that master plan, but break it up into smaller projects that you bite-sized chunks that you can tackle over a over period. period of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we might take a break. I, I know we have questions coming, but I, I, I still want to stay with the subject for maybe another few minutes yeah, as well, and absolutely. we'll just tease out a few more things. So, um, Terry, when you are, you know, when you're working with clients um, and people come to you, like, are there common challenges that you find for people, you know, with, with their gardens? Yeah, lots of challenges. I suppose that's why they would would look at us initially, and because you know it was very obvious to say, okay, I can manage I can, that. Yeah. So they they need to get some um, maybe advice on that. Um, usually, it might be as simple as in, in some of the smaller gardens, you might have actually. Um, uh, things like oil tanks or oil yeah. burners that are actually obtrusive. Yeah, and, they, just, and, and I suppose, you know, going back over the last, say, 10, 12 years, building booms, a lot of houses went yeah. up very quickly. Mm. You know, while they're obviously uh, followed a plan, they mightn't have followed, you know, a, it, maybe a, not a huge amount of thought went into certain things. Uh, and I know in my own experience, I, you know, I've seen the oil tank placed in a very Slap middle, middle prominent position, yeah. wow. <laughs> like it was the feature. <laughs> okay, okay. And, you know, and not a huge area yeah. then and you're going oh I really would mm. like to move this but where do I move it to yeah, yeah. okay yeah. 
Well, well, the element some of the oil tanks can be moved. There's a little mm. bit of effort on that. The mm. other, the other option is that basically you obviously create some kind of a screen or division, so you're not obviously looking at the oil tank. You're looking at something uh, more attractive in front of mm. that. And and that back of the area, the whole idea with some of the uh, the smaller gardens, particularly, um, there's definitely a trend towards looking at maybe non-grassed areas where you go into sort of like uh, maybe membrane with some gravel with stepping stones. Uh, people will have maybe cl- in behind the oil tank. They may put a fence and you may put a clothesline in there. You may end up as a, as a utility space, yes. uh, putting in your bins and your recyclables and, and all of that. And, and then, then you actually have divided the garden into a room. You've got the front area, which you can have a, uh, maybe the softer landscaping and the back area, the practical space. Um, so depending on, on, again, the positioning of the site, so we, we need to obviously to see, see that. And, and there, are, there are fantastic tools for us as, as designers to use. We can uh, Currently, we can take a photograph of, of that particular site mm-hmm. and uh, with a magic piece of software we can actually transform oh. the site and you can show you how the garden will look afterwards okay. so you can get a sort of a, a visual of before and after this photo visualization and that's a great tool for for you to look back without doing anything without putting a spade in the ground and you can actually see the this final, is how the it final might product look. so it's like computer designer it's a, com- yeah. it's a yeah, computer yeah, design something. it's a picture and and, and, and you know and, and Paul is very familiar with this and it's, it's a fantastic tool um, and, and, it's, and it's very simple and, and, and and, and you don't, as you say, you don't have to, you know, make any commitments. You don't make any kind of commitment. say, I like that or I don't like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's well, a process. You're, you're looking at a picture of your own yeah. gardener, that yeah. little area or, or whatever. Yeah. I, I suppose sh- shelter and screening would be the other kind of key thing that people would require. You right. know, that's privacy. Yes. A bit of shelter. Um, and also, the, the, the going back to the usability of the area, m- reducing the task reducing the maintenance in gardens would be a big request that mm. people have. Oh, yes. How do I cut down cut on the labour yeah. side of the garden and make yeah. it more usable and, and using hard landscaping or um, other methods to actually reduce the work in the garden mm. as such would be a big trend. There is, and, and, and slope, slope gardens sometimes embankments at the back yes. of a house or at the side of a house and, and, and people want to basically, how do I manage the slope? And there are a, a number of options uh, depending on, again, we need to see the site but we'd make sort of like uh, proper informed decisions yeah. but you can do it through uh, ground cover planting or perhaps maybe you might even screen that by putting a hedge in, in the foreground and, and, and it will screen it that way. Okay. So, um, you know, we, we would obviously have the, uh, the experience of, it, uh, of giving you advice, advice on that. Okay, okay. Um, and, I, I, I like, and I know every situation is obviously different mm. and yeah. everybody has different requirements. Exactly. So it is um, a very individual journey for people and while we're, I suppose, covering things in a very general sort of yeah. way today, mm. um, it is much better for people obviously to take their own specific situation and their own specific requirements and then to go and meet somebody and have a discussion about that. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. And they can look at their budget as well mm. and they can actually stretch, maximise the potential of their budget on that particular project. You know, so you'll spend you'll spend wisely. Okay. Now we do have uh, a good few questions and some of them specifically to do with design. We might just take a look at those ones yeah, first of all yeah. and then we'll come back to uh, some of the others. And you just mentioned there about slopes, Terry. So um, this one is actually to do with slopes. Somebody would love to read do a grass slope with some ground cover or low growing plants. Grass is too hard to mow and maintain. Uh, so when to do, do, would we, they do this and what should they use? Okay, um, when you can do it, obviously you can li- literally most planting can happen uh, 24, 24, uh, 24 hours, uh, 365 days a year. Okay, so you're looking at uh, varieties initially like uh, Cantoniaster horizontalis, um, some of the juniper, Fitzrena aurea. There's lots of juniper, uh, Cianotis, another variety. Again, we'd look at the, the positioning of the site. 
Um, sometimes it's, if it was a, only a, a small slope, yeah. you might only maybe pick one or two plant types and block plant okay. or that particular person might uh, look at a, an image and see that there's like mix of colours and they want variety through the season so um, there are lots of ground cover plants available um, but certainly depending on soil type and a few other things and I and presume what, what, you know, position, what, what way it's facing and things like yeah, that, 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 that there is, I mean, it could be a, a coastal area you know so there's a specific okay. type of plants that will suit there um, and, and they are all you know there are plants there are the plants for every position literally okay. But the, the listener's right into looking at areas that are awkward in the garden. Mm-hmm. So slopes, banks, round septic tanks, those areas mm-hmm. that are difficult to mow, that mm-hmm. difficult to get the mower too. You're better off spraying those areas off. It can be done at this time of year and putting in ground covering plants in groups, in groups of fives right. and sevens, so they mm-hmm. amalgamate into one large clump. Okay. That suppresses the weeds. It, it cuts out the need for any maintenance, really. And uh, if you use the membrane, the, the Plantex mem- membrane, that cuts down any weed the weeds. Mm. So this would be a really good time to do it. And it's really focusing on areas like that around the garden that are difficult corners, um, sloping areas, you know, where the soil might be poor. Mm. And take those areas literally out by putting in ground covering yeah. plants or mm. screening plants or trees. Um, and you're just reducing the maintenance. Yeah, of and areas. I mean, yeah. obviously for that person there, you know, the mowing is becoming yeah. a challenge for Slopes them. Yeah. So just yeah, yeah. and, and, yeah. and trees are a nice, are a nice contrast on a slope, particularly if it's slope and maybe at the base of the mm-hmm. slope, or depending on on the site, on the top or the middle, um, you can actually vary that. There's a, a, a nice mix of having some trees maybe coming from from that as well. Trees, maybe ground covering heathers yeah. or ground covering shrubs in under the trees, underplant them with spring flowering bulbs. Mm-hmm. That'll make a feature in a garden rather than... So you're changing it from a chore yes, to, to, to an actually a feature piece. Okay. Okay. And this is really a good time. November would be a good time to tackle that. Now, a listener has a long avenue up my driveway, would like to plant it with trees to create a tree-lined effect. Sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. What trees and what time to plant? How do I space them? Okay, well, well, there was a number of different types. First of all, we'd have to find out how long was the avenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could start off a, an avenue of 10 metres or maybe an avenue of 100 metres. Okay, it says long. I would hope that basically then you're looking at maybe you could you have, a, you, have yeah. a, you have a wider option there. So you can go for some of the larger trees, um, maybe something like the limes, which is a typical uh, um, a, a lime uh, avenue. Yes. Um, there are other varieties of acers which are very suitable. Yeah. Uh, some of the mountain ash are very suitable. And then you have these kind of more upright or formal shaped uh, trees um, one of them is the upright hornbeam and there's also a very nice one if you wanted some fl- flowering uh, trees uh, some of the cherry blossoms particularly there's an upright cherry blossom um, Anamagawa which is a, a very very good variety um, and would be suitable okay. uh, in relation to spacings most of them are probably spaced around maybe three to four metre centres um, again, depending on the on on, on the run, um, that gives you an adequate and it's very important when you're planting the trees that you get well established trees that the actual crown is at least maybe four five foot off the off the off the ground. So that means when you're mowing around it, you don't have any sort of a interference or obstruction. Side branches. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, it is better to get well established trees. But a good time of year. That that would be a good example now if if the listener took a photograph mm. of that of that of the avenue, we could superimpose the trees. Onto and the area. and, and so then you're able to, to yeah. see it, you're able to visualise it. And we can put the trees in as if it's three, maybe to five years' time. So you're looking at the tree five years from now, what it will look like in terms of the avenue. And it, it, it's great because l- listeners are literally looking at their own avenue or their own 
area yeah. and they so then they can see the trees how it's going to look like in five technology years time. is it's gas and yeah, what it you can is, do it's now. fantastic <laughs> uh, I know there are lots of downsides to te- 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 technology but there's a lot of upsides well, too it just gives you an idea yeah. you know yeah. because it is it's hard to visualize for, for yeah. most people it's hard to visualize what it's going to look like in five years time and I suppose the other thing is then you know where is that uh, house located is it is, yeah. is it in an urban or slightly yeah. urban area or is it out in the middle of the is country yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and you know I suppose sympathetically then choosing something that will fit in with that and it won't look too very, odd. Very important. Mm. It's very, yeah. very important you, incom- you complement the, the actual environment. Mm. But there's a wide range of yes. trees. I mean, you'll see a lot of the trees used in the landscape, you know, even in towns now, a lot of Westport, Castlebar are planting trees. The hornbeam that, that uh, Terry mentioned, the tilias are planted a lot in, in Dublin and mm. um, make a lovely tree. So there's lots of mm. really good London plains. There's loads of trees that would suit the avenue effect. Now, I think I heard you mentioning the word septic tank there. Yeah. So uh, we there have a few a... around. <laughs> and I, that's definitely a design query uh, what a lovely day for the garden question how to hide a septic tank my tank is approximately one foot above ground level but I want to disguise it how well again you see you can make it the main thing is that you're allowing access into the septic mm. tank so that you're allowing the the truck to come in and, and empty it at, yeah. at an appropriate time but you can make a feature out of the septic tank in terms of making it into a, a, a shrub bed a shrubbery bed so you're planting low plants at the front just to disguise the it's obviously sitting a foot off the soil so you're planting low growing plants right at the front just to disguise mm-hmm. that and around the rear of the septic tank you can plant flowering and foliage plants that'll give more height so visually when you look at it you don't see the tank it disappears amongst mm. the shrubbery but you've still got plenty of access in around the base of it and um, round septic tanks the soil tends to be very humus Yes. Very rich. Yeah, yes. And you I'm find the plants actually do very, very well. well. <laughs> so you're actually getting the best of both worlds. So okay. you can disguise the septic tank. It's not going to be moved, obviously. Yeah. You do need to get really good access into it. But apart from that, there are lots of plants you can put around that will do fantastically well. Brilliant. Now, um, I've always thought about having an area for cooking out of doors. Okay. What options do I have and maybe more artificial grass to help cut down on the grass cutting? Right. Well, that's exactly mm. what we were saying earlier. I mean, artificial grass, it has come on in leaps and bounds. Um, the, the, the slot I do with TV3, um, have, we have an area of artificial, artificial grass. grass. And when you see the autumn leaves, I was up there yesterday and the autumn leaves are on it. You couldn't tell the difference really? between it and, and real grass. Honestly, it, it's amazing the quality of artificial grass. So particularly in the case like we had where the, with the children, where you want to use the space um, you know, particularly for cooking, particularly for children, consider a, a section of artificial grass or gravel or paving or maybe some timber mm. um, structures, a hard surface area. In terms of cooking out of doors, look at this, some fantastic structures that people, that you can get now, that make the area all weather. So it keeps the rain off, it keeps the wind off, it makes the area more usable. And you literally put your cooking... <laughs> Um, area. You put your barbecue or your cooking area mm. in. I mean, it's even going to the stage now where they're putting in plumbing it and putting in sinks and... <laughs> You know, you can go to that <laughs> yeah, level right. if you wish yes. in terms of cooking. I, yeah, I suppose, well, if it's, if, it's, if it's quite away from your, from well, your main about, kitchen area or it's whatever. It's about making yeah. it usable. Yeah. If you've just got your barbecue mm. outside with the cover on it, you're never going to use it during the winter mm. or spring period. You're going to wait for the first fine day rather than having it actually built into a structure that you can use it at any time of year and you're keeping the smell of that cooking outdoors. And the... Us men love to cook out of doors. So, mm. you know, it's. It, I think it's a great... If you've got the right facility, it makes... Um, you can make it usable 24-7, really. Okay. Now, uh, just one other generic question here, um, and I suppose it's a fair one. Somebody's wondering, does it, does it cost much to plant a garden? 
Well, it depends on the size of the garden. Yeah. Like what, what we would normally start with is is having a discussion with, with, the, with the customer in terms of what they want. So they'd fill in a questionnaire and that really tr- speaks a lot about their lifestyle and what's, what are the kind of key features they want from the garden. The next stage really is to do that photo visualisation. So taking pictures mm. of the garden space and Terry then superimposing what the garden is going to look like. That doesn't take a huge amount of time. You're not into a detailed planning. Mm. The detail, if you want then to move to the next stage, which is doing a final plan, yeah. obviously the time needs to go okay. into that. Yeah. Um, but So my advice really is complete the questionnaire, maybe do, do some of the photo visualisation, mm. take some pictures of the area, we'll superimpose some ideas on it. And visually you can say, yeah, that, I like that, or no, that, that's not what I was thinking. And then if you want, you can move on to the final plan and do it in stages. stages. Okay, and I suppose the other thing is that, you know, if you are, you know, if, if you do want to go down that route and you are making an investment, obviously in the service, um, but in the grand scheme of things, you may be saving a lot more Absolutely. in the long run because of all of of the things that we do and then want to change and we have wasted money over the years, whatever. So you are approaching it in a similar way to you. Uh, yeah, in a similar way to if you have an architect in to advise you doing something in the house. You if know, you to build so, your house, yeah. how would you do it? You'd yeah. approach it in exactly yeah. that way. So, so that you can, you know, you're getting the best value out of, out of whatever, you know, you're doing with your project. Yeah. Okay, we're going to come to a couple of the other questions shortly, but a couple of people wondering how they get in contact for it. Well, look, they can ring us at the Garden Centre in Turlock. So it's 094 Three five. Um, just leave your name and mobile number, and I'll get back to you then this week in terms of the garden design. Okay, great. Now uh, let's come to some other kinds of questions. And then there's probably one or two other design ones in here as well. So we'll just take them sort of in order as they've come in. Can you divide a rhododendron at this time of year? Asks Tony. No, rhododendrons you wouldn't be propagated from division. You can either air layer them, which means bending a stem down to soil level and rooting it that way, or using the the cutting globe around the base of the stem to produce a cutting. Rhododendrons are very um, difficult to propagate from cuttings. Now, if if you notice a stem right down at soil level mm. that has rooted, by all means, you could cut it off, plant it up, and and grow it on. Sometimes they'll they'll produce a sucker or an air layer shoot themselves, but typically. Um, they're not propagated by division, it's by air layering or using the, the cutting globe. Okay, lovely. Now, um, wondering about plants for a mixed hedge, don't want all the same plants, something with mixed flowers, berries and leaves. I live in the country. Either or. Um, Ireland. Yeah, well, well, well there's a lot of varieties. I mean, obviously, if you, the, the native hedges like uh, with the, the hawthorn yes. is a good variety. Um, that would be obviously deciduous. Now, the thing is that you want to mix the, the deciduous, which means they drop their leaves uh, in the wintertime, with some evergreen. So it gives you um, a good um, colour throughout the seasons. And, and obviously, uh, this person requires that. So you have something like hawthorn, some of the privet varieties. Mm. Now, these are also tried and tested. They're all very hardy. Um, I think people maybe made the mistake in the past where we were maybe have tried some t- tender shrubs and we had that hard, hard winter, winter in yeah, 2010. 2010 and 2011 and, and basically we, we paid the price so we're so we're now advising to steer away from some of those varieties yeah. Yeah. stick to the hardier um, plants so stick yeah. to the hardier ones so you have the, the, the beech is obviously a very good one beech, yeah. um, and some of the cotone asters are fantastic for, for burying the hollies Excellent yeah, for burying as well. Nice, yeah. um, some of the fuchsia, if you're closer to coastal areas, mm. the fuchsias are fabulous. It's in a and mixed great hedge bit of colour as and well. Fantastic yeah. um, as well. So, so a nice kind of mixed hedgerow, really. Yeah. Gelder rose. There's lots of willow. You can, you know, blackthorn, whitethorn, as Terry says, cotoneaster. There's a whole mm. mixture. Yeah, Pop into your local garden centre. This is the month, actually. November will be the month for putting in yeah. bayroot hedging mm. plants. And particularly if you want to create that 
wild hedgerow, yeah. the old honeysuckle growing through it, that ah, type of idea, yeah, then this is the time of year. Okay, lots of, lots of options there for you. Now, specifically, a question on a fig tree. Uh, my fig tree has both small and large figs on the tree. Some are the size of marbles, whilst others are the size of a golf ball. Where did I go wrong? How do you get the figs into the fragrant roll? Was not the old question. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, well, fig trees... They, they, <laughs> We're showing the, our age. Go on. What the listener is describing there is not, is, is not unusual. Fig trees produce their fruit embryos in their first year. So what you typically expect on a fig tree at this time of year is mature ripened fruit that's ready to pick, mm-hmm. but also small embryo fruit that, that, for, that fully form this time next year. So it takes two years for a fig to actually produce its fruit. Oh. So the first year is, it produces a small embryo, which mm. at this time of year should be the size of a pea or a marble sort of size, and then um, that matures fully next year. So the listener is describing exactly how I'd expect the fig tree to look. Mature tree ready, ready or mature fruit ready to pick, mm. but also small embryo fruit that will fruit this time next year. Okay, great. Now, question with rose bushes. Difficulty: they've never produced any roses, just long stems. I cut them back every year. <laughs> either, no, either of e? No, no. Well, look at roses are, are are grafted, and they they. It sounds like the rootstock has. Uh, overgrown the the actual true rose I would replace those roses if they're not flowering now do remember that roses need a sunny location, a bright Mm -hmm. location that's extremely important, if they're in heavy shade you're just going to get little or no flower from them, so as long as they're in a a good location and reasonably good soil roses will flower reliably for you so I would take out that particular plant and replace it with a new plant now if you're putting roses down the same piece of soil make sure you put down, there's a special treatment called root growth that goes into the soil and does that uh, before prevent the plant. suckers coming out? You no, know, it prevents um, a disease called rose sickness, which okay. it, where you're planting one rose after another in the same piece of soil. So get yourself a small little tub of root grow, mix that through the soil before you plant your new rose, and away it'll go. And this is a good time of year for planting roses for next for flowering next season. Okay, Terry, I think this one might be for you. Would you like to, uh, would like to create a garden in a side area? Um, what are the first plants I need to think about, and what other tips might you have? Okay, well, really, it depends on, on the location of that side okay, area. Yeah. If that side area happens to be facing a south, south facing of the sun, but generally, sometimes people have a side areas and, and they're in, in, a sh- in the shade, okay? Mm-hmm. So you might look at that. The practicality of uh, certain plants will do very well in, in the shade. Uh, again, depending on the size. If it was a large area on that side, you could actually maybe consider some trees, uh, some smaller trees. Mm-hmm. Maybe something like Amelanchier there is a beautiful tree and very, very hardy and will do well in the shade. Then you're looking at some of the uh, the evergreen types that grow well in the shade. Some of the viburnum varieties are excellent. Um, and then you're looking at maybe ferns. Silver leaf shrubs tend to do very well in the shade. Um, and then there are obviously plants like periwinkles and... and hostas. Uh, hostas, which have... Uh, so you've got, a, you've got a lot it, of options. It's there. a very good question. Sometimes you find in a garden... Remember the garden we were at yesterday? There was a garden we were at yesterday where they had a piece of small piece of grass running around the edge of the house. Mm-hmm. So it was an isolated piece of grass on its own. And our advice really was to get rid of the grass in that area completely yeah. and plant it up with a mixture of low-growing plants to make it maintenance-free because it served no purpose. And it became... It was kind of awkward to cut and it was separated. And often you find that along maybe at the side of a house there might be a narrow strip of yeah. ground, narrow strip of 
lawn that really serves no purpose. Other than it's just filling a space. And it's awkward to mow. Yeah. And they're the sort of areas in terms of garden design to focus on. So I would take that area out, get rid of the grass completely mm. and plant it up then with a mixture of ground covering plants or trees or whatever that would be appropriate depending on, on the location. So it's really thinking about areas like that around your garden right. that are awkward, slopes, banks, those kind of bits of strips yes. of grass that really serve no purpose okay. and are more an awkward thing to cut. Uh, pain in the ass <laughs> and, and get rid of those and, and underplant them. We all, probably we have, all, have, we all have those yeah, in the garden, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I have some, uh, you mentioned viburnum there, I have some viburnum davidi yeah, and, and yeah, some yeah. Uh, look very sad, they're rusty foliage. Should I feed them? Well, I wouldn't feed them at this time of year. Um, the, you know, you don't feed plants in the dormant season. And viburnum davidii, to describe it, it produces big, big leaves, very mm-hmm. similar to a hosta. So they tend to pick up marks and bruises and from hailstones and whatever just from so they're weather easily damaged. they're easily damaged but what you can do is and it's an evergreen shrub so yeah. what i would do is actually leave it alone now until springtime in march cut it hard back that'll stimulate a lot of new growth so you're getting rid of all the dead and damaged uh, foliage the plant will kick back into producing lots of new growth in march give it a feed at that time of year of the osmo pro 6 feed it again in may and you'll have a nice healthy young plant again. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing really is that old foliage with lots of marks on it, where something like hosta disappears completely for the winter yeah. and you get a fresh growth cool. of new leaves. So it's absolutely perfect. And you get the same um, situation with the Viburnum davidii. If you cut it hard back in March, you get lots, lots of new growth. It'll be lovely and healthy. And you might have to do that every couple of years yeah. to rejuvenate the plant. But it's a typical, that Viburnum, it's a great ground covering plant. Super. Yeah, but, but, I saw it recently but, actually planted in a in a, a little car park. Okay. Car park in Little. And I was actually admiring it because there was about thirty plants planted together and it looked stunning. It was only yeah. about eighteen inches high, right. but it covered maybe twenty feet of an area um, and it really looks Just, superb. So cut it back hard every couple of years, give it a feed and you rejuvenate the whole plant. Now with pumpkins, well pumpkins definitely right. it's the season. Actually you were saying you've got a holiday. We have actually what I think of it in, in our centre in Turlock and Castlebar this weekend. Bring your children along because we have a free event today and tomorrow. Face painting event, we have the wall of horrors. Ooh. So you know like the on the uh, what's that program where they put the hand into the wall and there could be spiders or there could be <laughs> What's oh, yeah. it's like the celebrity get celebrity get me out here, here. you know that so we, we've got lots of that going on we've got feeding the snakes so we've a number of different snakes oh, that, right. that the guy's going to show yeah. people how to, uh, the, the feeding of them we've got the meerkats there of course Excellent. in Turlock so yeah. this weekend there's a big Halloween festival uh, in Turlock Saturday and Sunday bring the kids down in fancy dress there's colouring competitions face painting there's lots of unusual animals um, nothing too scary but right. at the same time something but a bit different Halloween y Halloween y yeah. right well let's stay with the Halloween y question okay. somebody has pumpkins in their garden and they look like they're ready to pick but they're still yellow they were orange on the package of the seeds oh, they yeah. bought and yeah. they're wondering is there anything they can do to turn them orange now yeah. they also have a Brussels sprout question which is not a completely dissimilar either they also have Brussels sprouts in the garden they've been picking them for the last few weeks they're lovely except for the fact that they turn pink on the inside when they cook them the colour of raw meat <laughs> <laughs> that sounds appropriate for Halloween and it puts them off eating them which is understandable yeah well sometimes yeah. you get that with Brussels sprouts or anything in the cabbage family they can produce that pink Pink, uh, pink, right, um, it's something to do with the way chlorophyll is yeah, it? Yeah, like well, particularly with the heat when, when they're boiled, okay. they get that pink, yeah. pink uh, 
pigment is what I was trying to say. Um, well, I you know, have a tip. Yeah, well, in our, the tip in our house for uh, particular, I suppose, cabbage, but it's all comes from yes, a similar same family, family yeah. um, is a little pinch of bread soda uh, into the into the water and it maintains the colour. Sometimes it can soften if things are very tough, but uh, yeah, it, yeah, a little bit of bread soda maintains. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the pumpkins, um, in the Victorian garden up mm. in the Phoenix Park, right, yeah. they harvest their pumpkins in at the the, the middle of October. So this is the time of year for picking the pumpkins, mm. storing them, so put them into a cool, dark spot. They will ripen. If you put a banana, a couple of bananas, ripening bananas, in through the pumpkins, that'll help to ripen the fruit as well. So this is the time to harvest them, particularly with the sort of weather we're having at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, store them. You could even put them into a, 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 a greenhouse or a tunnel or somewhere like that, and they will ripen. Put a couple of bananas through them, and they will ripen over the next... Couple of, of a couple of days, weeks, yeah, yeah weeks, whatever, days, yeah. yeah. You might not, well, you may not have them for, them for Halloween, Halloween. I know. I know in the United States, uh, pumpkins tend to be associated with Thanksgiving, but that's the third Thursday of November, so you're kind of... But do you know where the tradition came from for, for carving pumpkins? Where? There's a question for the two of you. Mm. Well, you better okay, let answer me tell it you. I'm not answering <laughs> that one. It actually has come from Ireland. It's from a tradition in, in Ireland uh, for the carving of turnips, turnips and suedes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the immigrants brought it to the States and when they saw the pumpkins, they thought, hey, that's some that's turn up. E- e- easier <laughs> so, to carve yeah. out, probably. Yeah, and that's where the tra- tradition oh, okay. actually started in Ireland as part of the... Uh, uh, Samhain. Samhain, exactly. And they, they carved the turnips, they carved the uh, parsnips, uh, or not parsnips, but potatoes and suedes, and uh, brought that tradition to... So it actually started in Ireland, even though it's huge in the States, huge in Canada. Yeah. And I suppose it, now the pumpkin has literally come back over the Atlantic again, and we seem to have embraced it again. Um, is it a fruit or a vegetable? Vegetable. The seeds are on the inside. Yes. So, what's the answer, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass that one to. Uh, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the seeds are on the inside, it's fruit. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, uh, pumpkins are a fruit. See, I do. I, I uh, she listens and I don't. Well done. Well done. <laughs> anyway, sorry. One or two more questions before we finish up. Um, are there any shrubs that actually flower from November to April? I have lots of spring and summer flowering shrubs, but little colour in winter. It might be a long shot. Yeah, well, when you'll have no, some of the... We, there, there, are, there are lots. Um, mm. I suppose this time of year, so the anemones, which are basically on the perennial end, are fantastic, and they will flower nearly almost right up to Christmas. Um, and then white, pink. Um, then you have the varieties of... Um, Hamamalis. Hamamalis is yeah, lovely. Very, yeah, very beautiful. Good one's a yellow one. Okay. Um, which it flowers on flowers. naked stems. Yeah. Witch, oh, hazel. Yeah. witch hazel. Actually. Witch hazel. Actually, thinking of, of Halloween, it's yeah. witch hazel. Yeah. It's a beautiful shrub. Lovely it, it, shrub. It's, it's a super plant. And yeah. then obviously you have. Um, Later on, you'll have the Forsythia coming in, which again is a beautiful yellow yeah. one. And then Spring. some of the varieties uh, coming in from, you said from um, November well, to from March. Well, from April, yeah. Yeah, well, no then you have is. earlier, then you have, um, so around February, some of the camellias are, are, yeah, are, are coming in. Yeah, so year, yeah. you, you have quite quite a few varieties there. Mahonias are, are coming into flower at the yeah. moment. Mahonia, Mahonia. Winter sun, it's a lovely yellow flowering shrub. It's actually in flower at the moment and will last. And what we tend to find with winter flowering plants, they stay in flower longer because it's like keeping them in a fridge. Mm. It's a lovely cool temperatures during the winter period so the flower tends to last so much longer um, Viburnum there's loads yeah, of Viburnum yeah, bot- yeah. Bonitensis Dawn is a lovely scented variety beautiful, beautiful pink flowers mm-hmm. Tynus keeps the leaves nice white flowers as well um, that Mahonish charge the dogwoods yeah. the cornice they're not flowering but they're mm. used for their lovely and, and wood they're foliage they're yeah, and then you have the bulbs, basically. Yeah, all oh, the spring yeah. bulbs. You put yeah. the bulbs in now, yeah. it's a great time, and you'll have them for, for early spring. And heliborus, the snowdrops. The heliborus, yeah, heliborus. Yeah, so, so all of those, there's lots of good winter flowering and spring flowering 
plants that can be put in. Finally, finally, finally. Sowed my new lawn this time last year. Lawn gone very yellow. What's wrong? Give it a feed. Give it an autumn feed now. This is the yeah. time of year putting on your autumn feed. I suppose we should just finish by reminding people, particularly with the dry weather, put, put on, get rid of the moss now in the lawn, put on the zero, give it an autumn feed now. It'll green it up lovely for the for the autumn winter period um, and perfect weather conditions for doing it. Lovely. We're going to have to leave it there. Terry, uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks nice very much for coming Thank in. Thank you very and much. Might, enjoy uh, have an opportunity to chat again at some uh, and, later point. And if listeners have any gardening, uh, the want to contest on the garden design, ring the number 0949030315 or contact the Turlock Centre and we'll get back to them. Lovely stuff. Porrick, thanks indeed. And uh, Porrick back for the final programme next Saturday. Uh, that's it from me. We're back as well next Saturday, just after seven. Stand by Michael Neary coming your way with Country Classics. Good morning to you and happy Halloween.